Well, good evening. This evening we will conclude our series of studies in the book of Ecclesiastes. So you can turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. We've made our way through this book, and we have found that the author, who we believe to be Solomon, has gone a long way to communicate to us that apart from God, apart from obeying God's word, apart from using God's wisdom, uh, you will live a life without meaning, a meaningless life. 37 times he says, meaningless. The theme of the book really is man's wisdom. But as we get to the end of the book, we find out that all of that wisdom wasn't wasted because it ultimately leads us to the place that Solomon has wanted to bring us all along. A place where we begin now to embrace God's wisdom. But before we get there, there's a little bit we have to go through in chapter 11. And actually, we start on a very positive note. Uh, In chapter 11, these are proverbs of encouragement. So what he does in the last section here, he gives us a few proverbs of encouragement. And then he says something that you would expect someone to say at the end of their life. And it's both positive and negative. It's a little negative because the theme is youth is meaningless. But what it really means is you, you live those young years, those years of vigor and vitality. And so many times, if you, if you don't live your life for God, then all of that youth, all of that vigor, all of that vitality is wasted. It becomes meaningless it, at the end of your life. And so this is a man looking back and saying, my youth was meaningless because it didn't lead me to a good place. But we will find out at the end of the book that even if you waste away your life on riotous living like the prodigal son, that if you come to the right conclusion, the end of your life, though you cannot make up for all the wasted opportunity, you can finish on a high note. I always like to think of Samson because Samson did finish, ultimately finished well. Uh, Had a lot of rough spots along the way, but he finished well because he understood that at the end of his life, God is to be worshipped. And that is exactly the conclusion that Solomon comes to. But before we get there, let's open in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word gives us the wisdom we need. And if we're still young, and I'd like to think I'm young, but if we're still young and we still have many years ahead of us, only you know, may we make the most of these years. I'm so grateful that in my youth, I came to know you, and many of us did. And there's some here that maybe came to know you Uh, later in life, but all of us look forward to days ahead where we can worship you. We don't want our lives to be meaningless. We want our lives to be filled with purpose and meaning, and we know that that can only happen through a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, and obeying your word, revering you, and loving others. So, Lord, give us the wisdom and the power to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... These Proverbs of Encouragement are actually beautiful, beautiful Proverbs. They are very poetic. This is a poetic book. And it requires a little bit of interpretation. I don't know if you've ever taken a class, maybe in school, uh, or you just like poetry. Uh, If you read poetry, at first glance, sometimes it's hard to know what is the author really saying. And then there's that, generally, there's that aha moment. Some poets are more abstract, where there can be a lot of debate as to what he's actually or she's actually saying. 
If you ever watched a movie and it kind of ends up in the air and then you go online and you try to see, did anybody else understand what this was about? You know, and they leave it up in the air. It's op- open to your interpretation. That's sometimes the way movies end. Some poems are like that. How about art? Art can be extremely abstract. And abstract art kind of means whatever you want it to mean. You know, <laughs> Sometimes what the author meant is very different than how you perceive it. So I would say this requires a degree of interpretation, but I will say that when you seek it out, you'll have an aha moment. I hope to share that with you. Let's look at verses uh, 1 and 2 as we start these Proverbs of Encouragement. And the first encouragement is to be generous to others, but the way it's said might be a little uh, abstract. It says, cast your bread upon the waters... And after many days, it will find, you will find it again. So cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days, you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Now, poetically speaking, casting the bread upon the waters makes sense. But literally, it doesn't. Why would you cast your bread on the water unless you're feeding, you know, ducks or swans? Right? Why would you cast your bread on the water? But poetically speaking, it's saying... Send what you have out there to those who may need it, because in a time of need, it will come back to you. It's the idea of being generous. And essentially, uh, what you want to do is you want to invest your time and your resources in caring for others. That's what's meant by casting your bread on the waters. And it will come back to you. Uh, You've heard of this pay-it-forward concept, right? And what you reap, right, what you sow you reap, right? You'll reap what you sow. It's that same concept of making good investments in this life, in eternal things. By the way, all individuals are eternal. So you're making an investment in others or the work of God. That's, that's a good investment. And it will come back to you. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Who also, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so by blessing others, you invite future blessings for yourself when you're in a time of need. And by the way, that's really true. I mean, I can tell you there are times where I've helped out people uh, with projects or in giving, and, and then, you know, maybe I have a need, and, and those people step up. We're supposed to function like that in society, and that's the encouragement to be generous. Another thing that's very important is to be diligent without excuse. That is, to be diligent with your time and your resources, and to, and to make the most of opportunities, not to make excuses. Uh, you've probably heard that phrase, excuses, right, are for losers, right? You don't want to make excuses when you could just simply make the most of an opportunity. So in verses 3 through 4, we read, If the clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Very poetic language. Essentially what's being said here, and and by the way, if a tree falls, all of this is kind of rhetorical. Like, of course, if a tree falls, it's going to lie where it falls, right? If the wind blows, it's going to blow. If it rains, it rains. The point is, things happen, and you really don't want to be the kind of person that makes excuses. So if it's going to rain, it's going to rain. If the wind knocks down a tree... Well, it's going to fall and lie right where it fell. And you don't want to use these potential events. Notice, potential events as excuses to avoid working diligently. So the poetry would imply someone is sitting around saying, ah, it's going to rain, I'll just stay home today. 
I don't want to go to work. Ah, you never know. The wind could be blowing. A tree could come down. You know, like, I don't know if that's really something I want to be uh, around if it happens. Who knows? Uh, if it's going to snow on Saturday night into Sunday, you know, uh, should we get on the road? Of course, I'm thinking about these things, and, and you know, I have to because I guess who gets to make the decision as to whether we have service on Sunday. Uh, that's me. I don't like that part of my job, but I do have to make that decision. But if it's going to snow, it's going to snow. Perseverating over it for the next three or four days isn't going to change it. So it is what it is. You just got to go with it. What can you do? Uh, notice if you watch the wind, you won't plant. Well, I'd love to plant today, but it's a little windy. It's going to scatter the seed. And uh, if you look at the clouds, you won't reap. Well, maybe not today. It doesn't look like it's a nice day. You see, that's all the excuses you can make about life. There are lots of reasons to make excuses for not working hard and not making the most of opportunities. You know, it's that saying is like the procrastinator, right, says, why procrastinate today when you can procrastinate tomorrow? You know, there's always that reason to punt, to, to kick the can down the road. Now, for those of us type A personalities, uh, we have a very different approach. A type A personality person has a tendency to be like, I better do it today because it might rain later in the week, right? We, we're, we're trying to plan and get ahead of it, but this describes the person that lets life sort of, ah, you know, whatever. And so you don't want to live like that. You want to be diligent and not make excuses, okay? How about being humble before God? Another encouragement here, being generous, being diligent, being humble. Verse 5, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Now, this is a wonderfully humbling statement. And it's essentially telling you, you're not going to understand everything. There's some of us out there that are trying to understand everything. Now, Solomon was one of those people. With all of his learning and all of his wisdom, what he wanted to do to try to break down everything and understand everything, come to a conclusion that he could explain anything to anyone, and yet you can't explain everything. There's just stuff that happens in life. You know, the reason, who knows? How it happens, I can't explain it to you. And these are just two examples of things that we really can't explain. I mean, even today, the weather and the conception of children remain under God's sovereign control. For all of our understanding of the Doppler radar and the predictions a week out, you know, you know when we'll know whether it's going to rain or snow or be a wintry mix on Sunday morning? Sunday morning. Michelle will sometimes ask me, oh, is it cold out? I'll open the door and I'll be like, yep. Like, you know, sometimes we can get so attached to the predictive analyses and, and the apps we have that sometimes if you just look out the window, you'll figure out whether it's raining or not, yeah? I think we need to live in the present. That's kind of the encouragement here. We get so caught up in trying to figure everything out. Look, you got to live your life. And you can't explain or understand or control anything, really. Some things you might come to a limited understanding of. You can't really control anything, and you just need to submit to that. It means you've got to be humble. A humble person accepts this reality. We can observe God's working, but we're yet unable to truly understand his creative work. We don't understand so much of it. We often applaud our efforts at exploiting creation, but we have yet to replicate God's work. Really, God is God He's in heaven, you're on earth, as we've read already, so let your words be few. Okay, so be humble, be diligent, be generous. Finally, be wise with your time. And we see that in verse 6. 
the last of these encouragements in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Okay, this is another encouragement towards diligence, but using your time wisely. A farmer should finish his work early. Why? To allow time for another trade. Now, why would it be important for a farmer to have another trade? Have you ever heard that cliche or phrase, uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket? Uh, When I was in high school, I was convinced that I would just be a musician, that that's all I needed to be able to do. And indeed, I became a working musician, and I did make a living playing music. But my father was intent on making sure that I was a little bit more well-rounded. So I had to take typing, which I despised. Um, I really didn't want to take that class. But I lived in a generation where parents gave you a choice, one choice. You did what they told you to do. That was a very different world than we live in today. Uh, So I took typing, and I, you know... I did marginally well. But when I decided to get out of working in bands full-time and just sort of do that on the side, and I wanted a full-time career, and I went to the corporate world, uh, guess what was the first thing they did? They had me sit down and take a typing test, which I passed. Gee, I wonder why. See, it was important back then, especially, I mean, now I think they call it keyboarding. But the idea is that you can type on a keyboard fast. It means you can do data entry. It means you can work on a computer. Uh, I wasn't thinking that way when I took typing with those little things and the ribbon that hit the, you know, the carriage return. I wasn't thinking that way. It was wise, wasn't it? See, being well-rounded in this world means that you're good at more than just one thing. In fact, another thing, I'm very uh, grateful to my father's wisdom throughout the years. I learned a lot from him. But one of the things I remember him saying to me when we were very, when I was very young, he would read stories, and there was a story, uh, it was a book, and it was a kind of a strange book. I actually looked up uh, this book recently, but I remember it was called Spindles and Spiders, I think it was what it was called. And there was these, this guy, and he was giving a definition, and it was sarcastic. Maybe that's where I got it from. So this very sarcastic definition of a specialist. A specialist is a person that only knows one thing. And it stuck with me, and I realized you need to know more than just one thing. Being well-rounded is vitally important to success. So a farmer should finish his work. Why? He must finish his work early, allowing time for another trade. This way, he has a contingency plan against potential disaster, like the rain, the wind, the weather, all the things he can't control. See, you can't control those things, but what you can do is be diligent with your time and make good investments of your time in yourself so that if the rain doesn't cooperate or the weather's bad, hey, you're not completely dependent on the harvest. You have another option. That's the point of this whole section has to do with wisdom. So the more diverse your skills, the more likely you are to be successful. And I love those encouragements. They're very good tidbits of wisdom for us to chew on. So, youth is meaningless. We come to that conclusion when we get a little bit older. We think so much of our our youth, and and when we're young, we we just think about the world and our lives very differently than we do when we get older. And when we're young, we kind of just sort of drown ourselves in what it means to be young and and to do the things that, that youth allows us to do. But here, 
the author wants us to understand that a devotion to living a youthful life will only end in frustration. Now, I know some people who aren't so young who live like they are. That is, there's people I know in their 40s and 50s that are living exactly the same way that they did in their teens and early 20s. There's probably very little more depressing than that. We're supposed to get older, and it's okay. And we're supposed to mature. And we really shouldn't be doing some of the things we did when we were 18, when we're 58. Uh, I can tell you right now that, you know, I look at my life and there's things that I did when I was young I wouldn't even want to do now, right? Like I was thinking the other day about the night I stayed out all night online down in the Meadowlands waiting for rush tickets. Like I was just thinking about that the other day and I, and I said to myself, I would never even consider doing that today. But when I was young, it was the greatest thing we ever did, right? We, we, it's just, let's be honest, youth, wisdom. There's a, there's a contrast. And so we read in verses 7 and 8, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun, however many years a man may live. Let him enjoy them all, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many, and everything to come is meaningless. Now, this is a man who looks at life through the lens of having squandered countless opportunities to live for God, and now realizes all of it was really meaningless. Okay? He's going to get to the, the conclusion in a bit, but for now, we can embrace this understanding that, you know, Yeah, you want to enjoy your life now. You do. But remember that death will surely come to us all. 100% of all people die. That statistic is provable. (laughs) And and even Jesus died. He rose again. But everyone dies. Death is a part of life. And as we look at this, we realize it really should cause us to make the most of our youth instead of squandering those years on foolish living. That's really the implication here. But he saw youthful life as the apex of man's brief existence. And indeed, there are many people that look back, oh, I remember when I was on the high school football team, and, you know, that's the the glory days of their life, and they live their life with that as, you know, that was then, and me, I'm just kind of waiting around to die now because that was everything. What a horrible way to live. You can can be young at heart. You can do so much as you get older. Uh, There was a friend of mine that used to say, when we would talk about getting older, he would say, oh, you know, at the time, uh, President Reagan was elected president to his second term. You know, I think he was like, he was, he was old by those standards. I think it was 72 or 73. So, you know, there's plenty to do as we get older. There, there's plenty of opportunity, even as we age, to live for God and, and to accomplish great things. Just don't look at youth as the all, the end all. It's not. It's meaningless if not live for God. And so he saw death as meaningless, a meaningless end to an otherwise meaningless existence because of his philosophy and his perspective. This is how he used to think. And youthful indiscretion will only lead to certain judgment before God. We know that, right? Youthful indiscretion. That basically is a nice way of saying all the stupid things we did when we were too young to know better. Uh, And unfortunately, again, there are people who get older and still do these things. And I think to myself, when are you going to grow up? You know? Oh, my goodness. It's sad. Well, let's read verses 9 and 10. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So he's saying, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Live your life. Do all those things. But understand, there will be a day of accountability. 
You know, it's that concept of giving someone enough rope to hang themselves. You know, it's, go ahead, enjoy your life. Just understand it will come to an end and you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to give a reckoning, an account of how you lived your life. And so that's the encouragement there. It goes on to say, So then, banish anxiety from your heart, cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Okay, that's the perspective he has. As a youth, he had sought happiness by fulfilling the desires of his heart and his eyes, and so many of us do. But now as an old man, Solomon became increasingly aware of God's pending judgment. We have a tendency to do that as we get older, uh, if we're wise. We'll start to begin, oh my goodness, you know, begin to think that, you know, listen, I've only got so many years left. What am I going to do with the time that I have? So he, he wisely suggests approaching life with a more mature and sober perspective. And I would say this to young people. I would say this to people who are not so young. Youthful anxiety, he mentions. Did you see that? Banish anxiety from your heart and cast off uh, the troubles of your body. Youthful anxiety doesn't benefit your heart. I know people who in their youth were so anxious they've had strokes, even like 20s and 30s, strokes, heart attacks, health problems. They brought on themselves because of youthful anxiety. Uh, Also, obsessing over earthly troubles doesn't benefit your body either. It will age you like nothing else. Probably one of the greatest realizations I've had in terms of staying physically fit is that as hard as you work, as much training as you do, stress will put you on your back. It's, it's crazy. You can't even believe it, right? So you go to the chiropractor, you take care of yourself, you know, you, you do all the right things, you eat properly, but if, if you allow stress to wear you out, you go to pick something up and your back goes out, and you think to yourself, oh, how, how is this possible? Stress. They call it the silent killer, right? What you do with the stress that comes your way will determine the outcome in your heart and in your life. Notice your body. Troubles affect your body. Anxiety affects your heart. So how do you deal with this? Well, you can't give yourself over to anxiety and to trouble. You have to take it in stride. And uh, whatever it requires for you to do to, to handle this, do it. Like, for example, many people exercise. Some people, you know, when I say meditate, I mean they put themselves in a quiet place, nothing weird. Um, Some people do yoga. And again, yoga, I don't mean the spiritual side of yoga, but maybe the stretching and the breathing, qigong, uh, martial arts, whatever it is, uh, athletics, whatever it is, music, art. There are lots of things you can do, reading, to calm yourself. And in today's world, more than ever, you need to manage anxiety and trouble. If you don't manage it properly, it will manage you. Your heart and your body will be impacted by stress. So we're constantly being exposed to all different types of stressors in our life. How are you going to deal with it? Well, if you're an immature youth, you're just kind of like, go with it, whatever. You've got to be wiser than that, especially today. So a mature and sober perspective. Don't get caught up in anxiety and don't obsess over earthly troubles. It doesn't help you. In fact, it makes things worse. What good is it To live irresponsibly as a youth just to grow old and face judgment. That's the rhetorical question here. That's what he wants us to think through. Well, it's no good. It's no good at all. Then we get into chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Now, here's the the counter-argument. A devotion to God as a youth makes your whole life a blessing and one that is well-lived. 
So if you're devoted to yourself and your own needs in your youth, life is meaningless. If you're devoted to God and the things of wisdom and God's word in your youth, then your whole life is filled with meaning and, and your life becomes a blessing, a life well lived. That's, that's the counter argument against wasting and squandering your life on foolish things. Look at verses, let's read actually verses 1 through 5, chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. And the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, and men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. That is very poetic language. I'm going to do my best to help you to see how that can be interpreted. Because just reading that, you could really ponder that for a while and not completely understand what he's saying. This whole section has to do with recognizing the importance of serving God while you're young and you're healthy, right? Because life only becomes more difficult as time goes by. Has anyone figured that out? (laughs) Yeah. Life's pleasures fade over time as your ability to enjoy them declines with age. People will often say, enjoy your life now while you're young because it doesn't get any better. We were speaking with someone, I think it was actually uh, Stephanie's uh, parents, we were at a uh, repass, and uh, they were talking about their age, and they said, oh, yeah, we got like 10 good years left. <laughs> Your perspective was like, you know, after that, you start to typically health problems and age and limited mobility. It's kind of what he's saying here. You're going to get older. L- let me show you. First of all, I'll unpack this a little bit. Most of verses 1 and 2 are, are pretty under, understand, uh, very easily understood. Uh, there's going to come a point where you don't find pleasure in the things that you, that you did when you were younger. And it says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Now, he's talking about uh, the frustration of growing old. And some of what's being described here has to do with the fading eyesight, which, you know, I mean, some of us wear glasses, right? But uh, back then there were no glasses. <laughs> so your eyes start to go. There were things you just couldn't even see and couldn't be involved in anymore. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, so the clouds return after the rain. It's, it's, it's that idea of not being able to see very well, and the light going dark. Anyone who drives at night has problems with their eyes, knows that rainy nights are very difficult to see as you get older. Uh, so, but that's the idea. So anyway, when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. So what he's talking about here is, again, fading eyesight, poor night vision, uh, feebleness, weakness that comes oftentimes with age, and the grinders are your teeth. So when he says, when the grinders cease because they are few, that is when you can't chew your food anymore. Poetic way of saying, when you lose your teeth, when the eyes go, right? When you can't see at night, when you're not as strong as you used to be. How about this, verse 4? When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades and when men rise up at the sound of, of birds, 
but all their songs grow faint. Uh, the idea is you get to a certain age and you don't have the ability to walk outside. You can't go out anymore, right? There are shut-ins because they just they can't get out. And then how about this? Uh, they can't hear, right? Because look what it says. It says, uh, when the sound of grinding fades. So you, 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 you hear things, but not as well as you used to. And then you have uh, the inability to properly rest. I remember my grandparents, as they got older, uh, they, they didn't sleep very much. And uh, that's kind of a sign of age as you get older. Many people uh, find it difficult to sleep. And they get up very early in the morning. And so you see when men rise up at the sound of birds, that is very early in the morning, uh, but all their songs grow faint. So they, they get up with the birds, they just can't hear the birds. You know, It's kind of, it's, it's ironic, it's kind of poetic language. The point is, as you get older, these things begin. Am I depressing anyone? Um, he's trying to make a point, make the most of the time, because it's true, we're all going to get older and you just, things change, you know. So there, there you have it. Uh, verse 5, uh, you have, uh, when men are afraid of heights and of the dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and, and desire no longer is stirred, and man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. So surely before you die, uh, you know, he, he realizes here and it communicates to us that you become overly fearful. And elderly people do because they have more to fear. Uh, their past life's prime. That's the point he's making. They were without desire. Many people have no desire to do anything, even eat. And uh, they have no spark, you know, and they're, they're just kind of waiting to die. And so very poetic language that describes the end of your life because the man is at the end of his life. And he's looking back and he's saying, youth is meaningless. You better do better than just live through your youth. You better make good investments. You better devote yourself to God while you're young. Or when you're old, you'll regret it. Like he did. He did regret it. And then he poetically describes it, the, the despair of earthly death. And for a person with no hope, that's exactly what death looks like. Verses 6 through 8. Remember him. That is, remember your creator. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now remember, I shared this with you. That's the perspective of man's wisdom. That's the perspective of the man who's not living for God. We'll get to the, the truth in just a minute. But you can see why a man at the end of his life might say things like this. He wants us to Devote ourselves to God before we find ourselves on our deathbed. Because then you can have a glorious entrance into heaven. But if you waste your life, what a, what a waste it would be to not have lived for God while you could. And so he saw his own life as filled with wasted opportunity and meaningless. The encouragement to us is to not let this be the case with us. Okay? And that's the encouragement. So there's truth there. It's just truth that's up against the very dark background of his reality so that we'll see it for what it is. Now, here's the conclusion. First, Solomon shares his great wisdom and his vast knowledge. It's kind of ironic because he had so much knowledge and so much wisdom, but he just didn't use that wisdom properly. He didn't serve God with his life during most of his life. 
And sadly, it cost him in the end. So we read in verses 9 through 12, not only was the teacher wise, and by the way, Ecclesiastes literally means in Greek, the teacher or the preacher. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Of course, he's speaking of himself. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. This is his testimony. He did all of these things, and with so many regrets at the end of his life. But thank God that he came to the truth at the end of his life. His desire was always to share with others the things that he had learned. He wrote three inspired books of scripture, Proverbs, which is mentioned here, Ecclesiastes, which we're studying, and Song of Songs, which we'll be studying starting next week. He wrote many other books that are not considered scripture. We know this from 1 Kings chapter 4. And he desired to establish his scriptural writings as the definitive word of God. He made that clear there in verses 11 through 12. There is but one shepherd that inspires truth and wisdom, and we know that that shepherd is God himself. There is no need to add anything to his writings that is, the writings of the Holy Spirit, or even to those of Solomon. The book of Ecclesiastes isn't just one of these many books that Solomon wrote. It is God's word. It is God's wisdom. And so we come to the conclusion, the most valuable portion of the entire book that's only as powerful as it is because we've looked at the rest of the book, like taking something very bright and putting it against a very dark background, Have you ever noticed when you study a diamond, they usually put it on a black velvet surface and it causes the light to sparkle, all of the different facets? But if you just lay it against something light, you don't appreciate it as much. It needs to be against a dark background. That is what this section is. It is the light of God's wisdom, oh so powerful, because it's up against, contrasted against, the darkness of the life lived for man's wisdom a life that is meaningless. And so we read in verse 13, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, if you just got to that section, you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. But if you went through the whole book, it's so much more powerful because, why? Because it's contrasted against the darkness. And now we know better. Solomon ultimately learned the true meaning of life. To reverence God and to obey his word. To live in humility before God, accepting his scrutiny over your entire life, is wisdom so much greater than the wisdom of man. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious book in your word. We are grateful for the wisdom that you've imparted to us through it. And we ask now that we would carry with us the hard-learned lessons that Solomon has shared with us in our studies. And remember the conclusion, to fear God, to fear you, and keep your commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This is how we will live a life that is filled with your purpose, 
according to your wisdom and your will for your glory. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us that ability to live for you, to obey your word, to live our lives according to your word, to revere you and to love others, to please you with our lives, whether we be young or old, to know the truth of the gospel and to impart that truth to others, the truth of you sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, who rose again from the dead on the third day, and has promised to come again to judge the living and the dead, as indicated here at the end of this book, that day of judgment will come. May we be found righteous in your sight because of your son's sacrifice for us as we give our hearts to you by Jesus Christ. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.